Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on seeing friends when visiting a place you used to live, saying goodbye to coworkers before leaving the office, attending the funeral of your stepchildren's father, and not bringing a gift to a baby shower. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question is about refusing desserts from well-meaning home bakers. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on balancing the menu from Emily Post's 1951 cookbook. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post. Hey, guys. And how are you doing this morning, <laughs> Lizzie Post? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm Lizzie Post. <laughs> is it day? Uh, is it night? I, I it honestly is it the weekend? Is it the week? You all, Dan is teasing me because I have gotten so jazzed on a project that not only did I work all the way through the weekend, but but from Tuesday to Friday of last week was working straight through past midnight every single day and loving it. I'm getting a little scared to talk to you in the morning. Can I be a thousand percent honest about that? You can, you can, you can. (laughs) My days won't be consistent day to day, but they will like, I, I, when there's work to be done, there is something that changes in me. And especially when it's work that I really love doing and the work that I'm referring to are these wonderful Emily Post guides that we've been creating over the past couple weeks. And the first suite of guides that we decided to do is wedding-based, and it's a wedding shower guide, an engagement party guide, and a bridesmaids luncheon guide. And they're three separate files, but all are going to be digital downloads, and they are all also interactive. So it's not just a printable thing. It's something you're going to be able to use on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer really, really easily, and share planners and guides and calendars with co-hosts, share games and shower registries, or not registries, sorry, like gift ledgers that keep track of who who brought what gift to an event with either the honoree or the guests. Um, I'm Dan, I'm so excited about this project. I can't stop working on it. I think that's what I've come to. <laughs> Sample invites, ideas for themes, follow-up prompts, RSVPQs. I mean, the, it's... It's um, it's been a lot of fun to watch you work on them, and it started out as like three PDFs that were totally static and turned into something else entirely. <laughs> to watch you go down a work rabbit hole is kind of fun and a little intimidating. I should I should clarify that that scared to talk to you in the morning is entirely my own feelings of inadequacy because I say to myself, "What have I done? I got to bring something to the table every morning." Because Lizzie's going to show up and she will have been up till midnight and she's going to have the latest round of drafts and edits and revisions and i mean the fun part of being me is that there were a series of those check-ins where you were much further along than i would have anticipated or had had achieved something technically in the designs that just made the whole the whole product potentially that much more dynamic exciting and and, and frankly started to open up creative possibilities and then i watched you pursue those 
It's, it's been a fun week for me, anyway, as a, a witness to this whole thing. <laughs> it's like, I'm, just, I'm watching Liz just make all this product for us. This is great. No, but you've been really helpful because each each step along the way, like, I'm literally, guys, like, out in, in the woods on the edge of the lake right now, alone. Sunny and I are out house-sitting for someone, and it's just very nice each morning after doing such a huge amount of work to get to talk to you about it and to like have you see the changes in it and have you see the developments and the places that we've got to and the ways in which this is going to benefit our company and our readers and so it's it's just been a gosh darn delight y'all i feel like each day i'm i'm waking up really ready to hit the ground running and what i'm really excited about is that the result ends up being products that I know our audience is going to love. And I've got to interrupt you for just a minute, oh, please Lizzie, do. which is that please. we've been getting requests for this kind of thing for a long time. This is exactly what we know people are looking for from a contemporary version of Emily Post, a version of Emily Post that is relevant in a digital age and in an online world. And we know that books will always be the backbone of what we do, but mm-hmm. also that we need to meet people with with Emily Post etiquette all over the place, everywhere. And <laughs> this is a big step in that direction. It is it is really exciting for for your your co author, your partner over here as well. <laughs> I'm really glad. I'm really glad. Weddings is just the start. We are also working on dinner party guides and all kinds of all the parties that you find in the book guides for all of them, as well as uh, some business of our, resources. Uh, yep, uh, some of our other content areas. I was going to say, uh, especially the job interview lends itself really well to this format, uh, and definitely some uh, some parenting and kid guides as well for teaching table manners, teaching introductions, all those Thank kinds you, of note things. Writing. Thank you, note writing. <laughs> There's lots of great samples, tools, inspiration, and content, advice content, you know, the most important tips for for really making these parties happen well. Uh, I'm very, very excited about this. So if y'all are interested, and I hope you are, please jump on over to emilypost.com, search for our digital downloads, and you will find them. Dan. Yes. I know that I have been totally obsessed with this work project but do you think it's time that we get to one of the other projects at work that we are obsessed with our podcast questions i think we should and (laughs) it will just free you up that much sooner to get back to (laughs) design work (laughs) all of these other things shall we get to those questions let's do it let's do it Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can find us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember to use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with any social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question this week is about friends and formalities. Mm. Hey, Lizzie and Dan. I recently made a pretty large move, and I'm excited to be planning my first visit back for later this year. The problem is my friends from different circles aren't all friends with each other. I want to be able to see as many people as possible, but one of my closest friends, with whom I will be staying, tends to want me to herself. I am so grateful for her hospitality, but don't want to offend her with other plans. Any advice about how to handle this would be much appreciated. Thanks, a nervous house guest. A nervous house guest, I want to just first commend you on the fact that it sounds like you're really paying attention to your host and that whether it's because you know your host's nature or because of some things they've said as you've started to plan this trip that you've you've realized this person might be thinking this is really about me just coming to visit them. And I think that at the onset of trying to plan where you're going to stay and and with whom you're going to stay, that is a really good time to set those expectations. If they weren't already set, it's a little harder to do it later on, but not impossible. And I think it's probably important as you're gathering info from other friends about how getting together might end up working out that you kind of loop back with host friend and talk with her about the fact that there are quite a number of people that you'd like to see and what some of the best ways to do that might be so that you also get a lot of really important time with her and respect the fact that she's hosting you. And I think if you say all of that, you're kind of covering a, a couple different bases, both your own and hers. And I think that it's really important when we stay at people's houses. Dan, back me up here if you think I'm wrong. But it's really important when we go to stay at someone's house that we don't make them feel like a hotel manager, that we recognize that they are our host and we spend some time with them and we are gracious about our time with them. And it sounds like a nervous house guest wants to do that and meet up with some other friends. It does. And like you, I was thinking about this as a, a bit of a balancing act uh -huh. that the first thought that comes to my mind is talk to your host, talk to her yeah. or him as early as possible and in as complete a way as possible. Talk about where this return visit fits, how much you're looking forward to, how you're hoping to touch base with a lot of different people. And you want to make sure that you don't leave anyone out. And, and, and it can be a very broad discussion that then ends up getting a little bit more focused down to what the time that weekend looks like. In thinking that, I also find myself with this little voice reminding me, and don't make it all about you. Don't make it all about mm -hmm. what you're hoping to accomplish and, and balancing that with what you were talking about, really investing in what your visit with this friend who's going to be hosting you is like and, and being sure that that conversation gets a healthy dose of focus and attention on the things that you're going to be doing together and ways that you can really make that friend who is hosting you feel special and included and involved even if it's just in, in, in being a big part of the plan that yeah. lets you do those other things. <laughs> I know that Nervous House Guest is aware of the fact that, that their friends are kind of like not all friends with each other. But because this is a return visit, I highly, highly, highly suggest pick a public location that you and maybe your host, if they want to come to, can go to. And meet up with everybody for a drink or some light hors d'oeuvres, like something I'm, I'm thinking I, bar is not the only option here, but my brain is going to like bar or cafe or something simple where the drop in nature could be very easily accommodated. 
I have found that whenever a friend is coming into town again, and I live in my hometown, and so, I mean, so do you, but <laughs> I live in my hometown, and so often there are folks who do come back for various reasons. I also live in my college town, which also brings people back for various reasons, even if they don't live here anymore. And so I found that that whenever someone does one of these, a come one, come all, I can't meet everybody in the time that I've got, so if you're able, please come to this it works so well. It works so, so well. It doesn't even tip. matter that none of your friends get along because it not get along. It might matter if they don't get along, if they don't know each other. Um, because you're in this kind of mingly environment anyway. And I think that that helps sort of feed the, the nature of the bouncing from, from friend to friend and meeting new people. And you can come and go when you please. Anyway, that's one of my really big suggestions. The other one is a little bit more for the host who probably isn't listening or might not be listening. <laughs> I'd like to think everybody is an Awesome Etika fan. When you're in this host position, A, recognize that if a friend is coming back to an area where they have a lot of relationships, that you do want to help support them get it, getting out and meeting some other uh, friends and getting together with them. At the same time, I know that the last time I had a really special visit from someone who hadn't been here in a while, they were bringing their, their spouse up to Vermont and they were going to come stay with me. I got a little bit sad because two things happened. One, their flight got delayed by like two days. And those were pretty much the two days we had mapped out for us to be together during the visit. And the other days were about her bringing her husband to some other friends so that they could meet him. And they had they had planned those things out. And so when her flight got changed, I got really sad. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this isn't going to work. Like, I'm not going to get to see them at all. They're basically going to be staying at my house and I won't see them at all. And I was really bummed out. And sure enough, they get in and like the first 24 hours that they're there, everything kind of shifted. And we ended up with a whole day together driving around Vermonting, as you've heard me say on the show before. And we got a, a night together as well. And they were able to still go see their other friends. So have faith that sometimes even when things look a little chaotic, or maybe even not like the best scenario for you, they can shift. And that with gracious actions and gracious communication, these things can actually go from, oh, I don't know if it's going to be what I want, to really great really quickly. It's such a good reminder, Lizzie Post, that it's not necessarily possible to manage everything. There is yeah. a room in the equation for, for good things to happen as well as for little hiccups. <laughs> Nervous house guest, we really hope that our answer helps you feel a little less nervous about this house guest experience and that you're able to really enjoy your return. And you know, I think it meant a lot to him, having us there, having his friends sort of share it with him. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is titled Office Exit Etiquette. Hi, Post family. My direct report sits in a cubicle directly outside my office, so she has to walk by me when she leaves for the day. When she leaves at the end of the day, she almost always stops to say goodbye. While on the surface, this is very nice and thoughtful. I'm usually deep in thought and in the zone work-wise, so the farewell turns into quite the distraction. I thought I had addressed this when I told her she didn't need to check in and out with me since I know she always gets her work done and I don't care what time she leaves, but turns out she's doing it to be polite. She's also stopped outside my window to wave goodbye when I've been on the phone with my door closed, so closing my door every afternoon isn't an option, nor is it one I want to pursue for fear of turning into the manager who hides in her office from her employee. Is there a polite way for me to tell her to stop saying goodbye so that I can keep my focus on the work I'm in the middle of? Thanks for any help, Rachel. 
Dan, I got some thoughts on this, but you're our resident business expert. What, what, what you got for us? Well, this is definitely a business etiquette question, but it's so personal. It's so human. The idea of wanting to say hello and goodbye, of greeting and parting, is so fundamental to etiquette that it comes into play in just about every social situation that we find ourselves in. And it's one of the reasons I really want to start with Rachel by thinking about how important it is, is because it's so important. And Mm -hmm. I can understand all of the impulse and the desire to stay efficient that in particular with this employee where they do great work and you trust them to manage themselves and you don't feel like you need to be accounting for the time they're spending working, that it could seem really appealing and really efficient to say, I don't need that check-in and we, I don't need that check-in and it would probably be better if I didn't have it. At the same time, there are ways that a goodbye functions in our relationship that go beyond just a piece of information that would get exchanged at the end of the day, even if that information was just what time it is I'm saying that goodbye. And in some ways, I really want to keep the focus there because I do think there are some real dividends and some real rewards to be reaped here by honoring that impulse to maintain that civil social interaction of saying goodbye Mm -hmm. when you part Mm -hmm. for the day. And that might help balance the equation in Rachel's mind a little bit about the, the cost of the distraction or the break in, in the thinking or the train of thought, or even the work or the phone call that takes place Mm -hmm. to acknowledge that goodbye in some way. But there is some, some cost benefit analysis that's going to go on as we really think about it. And I think thinking about all of those benefits, all of those social benefits helps make a better decision in that moment when it can feel distracting from the work that's in front of you to look up and wave goodbye to somebody. Dan, I had a couple of thoughts on this one and, and they kind of, I don't want to say it's like I'm trying to come down on sides here, but on the one hand, when I'm listening to this question, it's all from Rachel's perspective. There's there's a small there's a a moment or two where she's she's reaching out and saying, you know, I'm sure she's just trying to or I know that this is coming from a place of trying to be polite, that there's an acknowledgement that the thing that Rachel is asking to have not happen is a fairly normal thing that happens regularly between people. And I, I, I appreciate that recognition. But it's also I'm hearing a lot of the dis- the impact that it's having is a negative distraction to Rachel. And I think that a lot of what I've really valued about the the work etiquette that I have learned from working at Emily Post, mm-hmm. a place where we talk about work etiquette, business etiquette, is that you are almost never the only person in a situation. And that it doesn't matter if someone is above you or below you on the totem pole, if you work together all the time or not very often at all, but that basic etiquette courtesies, things like the magic words, things like greetings and goodbyes, make a huge difference to the overall sense of a company's um, idea of being a team and a cohesive unit and something that all works together. And I just, I want to put some emphasis on that. And Rachel, it might be that just embracing that perspective a little bit more can give you the space to feel okay about this interaction that's happening at the end of the day that is a polite and positive interaction for the most part. But I do want to address the negative impact that it's having on Rachel. It sounds to me like Rachel is someone for whom distraction can be a really big problem. And if it is a really big problem, then that is something worth communicating. And it might be that rather than just asking for your direct report to never say goodbye to you and just leave, that instead maybe you come up with some kind of a mechanism. And I mean, I think of things like in the studio that we don't have a studio anymore, but when we were in studio, 
The big red light outside the door tells you, do not come in, do not disturb what is going on in this room. I don't think you need to get a light installed, but I do think that some kind of signal either, you know, when my door is closed or when I, when I put a particular thing, sometimes it's like a little charm or something so that it's not a sign mm-hmm. that says go away, you know? Um, but it might be that you, you get a little something you can hang on the door handle. And when you put that on and when the door is closed, it is your, your direct report can feel confident just walking out the door and you will see them tomorrow. Um, but I think some kind of a signal to indicate when the distraction would be so bad that it would really mess things up because I think that's, that's real. That can be a real moment for people. And I don't want to diminish that, but I also place a very high importance as Dan does too on greetings and communications and good communication at work. I was thinking very similarly to you as far as the the best practical solutions. And Mm -hmm. I definitely wanted to, like you, affirm for Rachel that it's okay to have work that you need to keep your attention on. There is certainly a kind of work that requires focus, that requires your full attention. And the incidental hellos, goodbyes, oh, good to see you, hey, do you have a minute type of conversations is – it just isn't helpful and could distract you from it in a way that – you would really want to avoid that being able to close an office door or like you say, Lizzie hit the button that turns on the little red light outside that says recording in progress or whatever the equivalent to that is in terms of the types of signals that you have with your team. And we've heard about things like different colored post-it notes that go on the, the side of a cubicle. If there is no door that tell people, Oh, this is focus work or I'm, I'm available. If you want to pop your head in and say hi or check in about yeah. anything. And that can be a very personal little system between two people that just know I tend to be leaving at this time of day and that tends to be a busy time for you. But even by setting up something like that, you acknowledge that goodbye, that effort that the other person's putting into it. And it's true that their impulse is to be polite. And I also, hosting an etiquette podcast, want to see and acknowledge the importance of that. That that when someone tells you they're trying to do this to be polite, what they're telling you is they're doing this because to them it means consideration, respect, or honesty. That it's that it's about making a a, a connection with you and about behaving in a way that they want to to show you something. And it's it doesn't mean that you have to accept it. That someone else's courtesy is something that you just have to absorb and 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 roll with no matter what. But I think thinking about how that functions and doing your best to support it when someone does think about it that way would be effective management. And I definitely yeah. also hear Rachel checking in about that or, and, and, and being evaluative about her own process saying, you know, I don't want to be that manager that's not available with the closed mm-hmm. door. And what I find myself telling managers when I consult with them about leadership and establishing cultures of civility and respect is that some of the most important times for leaders are the greeting and the parting, the hellos and the Mm -hmm. goodbyes, the ways you make room for personal connection around work. And that, that or how about just even acknowledge other people at work? And and, and that acknowledgement is the, is one of the best ways to establish that personal connection, to make it real, to make it it identifiable and, and part of your, your company's culture and your organizational behavior. It doesn't have to look the same in every organization. The how matters. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't ever say disrupt really important work just for the sake of, of covering that etiquette basis or checking that civility box. But if there's a way to make room for it, if there's a way to allow for it, or even to train yourself to look up, make eye contact and wave goodbye even if it's at a not, certain time of day, yeah. <laughs> even if it's not like a, a super high contact, high engagement interaction, um, mm-hmm. could really pay dividends and pay pay rewards. And it might even be worth talking to this person about how that's what you'd like to do. You'd like to develop a little routine where she can make eye contact or he can make eye contact with you. You two can acknowledge each other, and that's going to be enough. And it, and it's not too much for you, hopefully, in those situations. Rachel, thank you so much for the question. We hope that our answer helps you find this work-politeness balance. But is this enough? Will it work? Will you do the right things? Will you say the right things? Will the gang accept you, Susan Jane? Will they do the right things? Susan Jane? Yes, Mother? It's about time for you to go. 
Our next question is about the funeral of a father. Dear Emily Post, I need funeral advice. My stepchildren's father died. If it matters, the children are 28, 26, and 18. I've been in the children's life for 16 years. We are close. There is no formal funeral. The family elected for a celebration of life party. My wife feels no special obligation to attend. One exception would be if any of the children wanted us there. As of this email, all three say our attendance isn't necessary. Given these facts, my question is, what is the etiquette of this for me? Many thanks, Jay. P.S. I definitely don't want to go, but I will if that's what I should do. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh because we're in a sad territory here. But I, there was a particularly, I, I, there's something Honest very sweet about that P.S. I really like it. Um, just if you want my perspective, like I'll show up and do what I need to. I don't really want to do this. I think that this is one of those wonderful questions, Jay, where I feel like you've answered it in your letter to us already. And that is that you guys have already checked in with the kids. And you've said, if if the kids want us there, we'll be happy to go there and be there for them and, and even to pay our respects. But if they don't want us there, we don't feel particularly drawn to, to filling up those seats and, and being there. And if they don't need us there, then we'd rather not. And I think that's fine. This is, you know, clearly a relationship that didn't work out. We don't know the details of that. Sometimes they are incredibly significant and serious, and other times they are very personal. Sometimes they're all three of those things. There's all kinds of reasons why this might not be the right fit for you guys as long as your uh, your wife's children and your stepchildren aren't worried about it. Dan, I'm, I'm guessing that you've got a pretty similar take on this. Yes. The, yeah. the only thing that I could add is that if we were thinking about what might feel like an etiquette requirement or what, what are the things that courtesy would dictate I do in a situation like this? Mm-hmm. Obviously checking in with the children because there's no invitation to a funeral or celebration yeah. of life. There's no need to RSVP. There's no need to call and tell anybody that you won't be attending. So right. there's no awkwardness around that part of the process or decision-making. Mm-hmm. One of the places where I think there is some etiquette expectation in a place you might say to yourself, well, this is a mark that I will try to hit is a note of condolence or sympathy to the people that you know that are most connected to the person who's passed. So in this case, it would be those stepchildren or perhaps a widow who's been left behind or widower in some other situations who might have been left behind. And that is something that I absolutely would do. And I would lean into, I think it's a nice gesture. It's a good way to so, to show that support for your stepchildren and anyone else in the family that might really have been impacted, particularly if you're thinking that you will not be going to the funeral and, or the celebration of life. And based on the PS, I think that's the, the likely situation here. Jay, while we are sorry that your stepkids are experiencing this loss at this time, we really appreciate you writing into our show with your question and we hope our answer helps. next question is about a baby shower present problem. Uh Uh-oh. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I am puzzled over gifting for a baby shower. Will it be weird if I don't bring a gift to a baby shower? I've been to two other baby showers in the past year, but they were for out-of-town mothers-to-be, so the invitation specifically said not to bring a gift to the shower. Additionally, I am now in between jobs, so I don't have the funds for a gift at the moment. For one of the past showers, I am waiting to send the gift until I get a new job. In summary, will it be weird or frowned upon if I attend a baby shower and they open gifts at the shower and I do not have a gift with me? Anonymous. Well, Dan already gave his answer to this question. While we I really hope it. that it came across as cheeky as I intended it to be. <laughs> Don't Because I do want an opportunity to fill out the answer just a oh, little okay, bit. Okay, good. Okay, good. Overall, Dan's right. The answer is yes, it would be awkward to show up to a shower without a gift especially if it's a shower where gifts are expected, not a shower where you've been specifically told no gifts. Dan, just very practically, very starkly, like without being inventive or creative like we often are, like my, my initial stark answer is if it's funds that are a problem right now, 
I think that saying no to the shower is a good idea because you don't have to send a gift that's only a wedding is the only thing that obligates you to that. The baby shower, if you say no to a baby shower, you do not have to send a gift. Absolutely an etiquette option. And then the tag tag on is, but you can. And I think that given Anonymous's position of not being in a financially comfortable place to do things like like purchase baby shower gifts, or maybe even to craft or re-gift something that could be very sentimental and special for this particular occasion, which is another option if you don't have the funds for a gift. So you could say yes and kind of figure out something that does work within your wheelhouse, within your within your budget, excuse me. But I think you could easily say no and then just send a gift later to celebrate the birth of the baby or even the pregnancy. Um, And so I feel like saying no to the event allows you to get out of that awkward moment of not bringing a gift to the event. And at the same time, gives you a shot at giving a gift later on. But I could also see some other other tax we could take here. Do you have anything in mind? Well, I would like to explore the category that you said. Let's put this aside <laughs> sure. for a minute and think about some things, which is the, the creative yeah. options yeah, category. Yeah. And I'm thinking about a, a coupon book for some babysitting Ooh. or some sort of uh, a meal support in the that that postpartum mm-hmm. period after the birth when oftentimes people think that they're through the hardest part but there's still a lot yeah. going on as you're getting used to that new baby and there are a lot of opportunities for friends and family to help out and structuring those offers and and putting them together in a way that's a little shower gift might be I another creative approach for participating in the shower but without putting out a lot of money to do it cuz what do you think about Talking with the host about your budget concerns, like I because I could see something where like often showers are among a group of people who know each other pretty well or something like that. Like if my aunt was throwing my sister a shower and budget was a problem for me. I, well, frankly, if it was my sister, I could probably talk to her about it. And she's really good. She always knows where I'm at. So she tells me, like, don't worry about an, her Her bridal shower. There were two bridal showers for her. And she very graciously told me, do not worry about getting a gift for the second one. Sometimes there can be a little bit of a conversation that just says, I really want to come. I'd love to attend. I'm in a position right now where I don't have money to buy a gift and I, I'm not a creative person. So, you know, homespun ones are a little harder. Although, Dan, I think your idea is one pretty much anybody could do. But I think talking with that host or or even talking with the, the honoree, I would lean into talking to the host first because uh, you kind of want the honoree to not have to think about any problems, issues, hangups, concerns with their party. So talk with the host. If you are real, if it's like a sister relationship, you could talk with the honoree probably. But I think there could be a place where when it's been pre-discussed, this becomes a very easy thing to manage. And the host knowing it, keeping track of the gift ledger during the shower doesn't need to say, oh, but wait, what about anonymous here? Didn't you get anything? You know, which could be an embarrassing moment. They'll at least being in charge of it will know not to kind of call you out or question it or give you the opportunity, which is is really what they're trying to do there. <laughs> and I, that's a really important point, Lizzie Post, just to acknowledge that for a lot of people, and it's pretty common that the showering of someone with the gifts and the presents is the purpose and main event yeah. of the shower. It's hard to uh, just sort of be quiet and slip around that one <laughs> yeah. without it being noticed. So it's definitely however you want to handle it. I think handling it ahead of time is is really important and, and necessary for good participation. Absolutely. Anonymous, you've got a couple different tacts you could take, but mostly we hope that you have a lot of fun celebrating your friend or relative who is experiencing a pregnancy at this moment. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your social post so that we know you want your question on the show.
If you love awesome etiquette, please consider becoming a paid subscriber to our Substack by going to emilypost.substack.com. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content, including our discussion threads and community. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep awesome etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already paid subscribers to our Substack, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, we have feedback from Tracy about avoiding awkward bill-splitting situations. She begins, I have some feedback for the show. I used to crawl in my skin thinking about going out to eat, splitting the bill, and knowing how to handle ambiguous dining. But recently, I had the best experience using advice I heard on your show. We were in Maui, and my aunt-in-law texted and said we could join her for brunch at her hotel. I looked on their website for pricing and wrote back, Thank you so much for inviting us, but it looks to be over our budget, so we'd love to meet up with you after. She wrote back that it would be her treat. We accepted, which I previously would have felt awkward about. We had a great time, and there was no sweating over the bill coming and how to split or handle it. Instead, we just got to focus on the delicious meal and company. I am now writing her a thank you note now that we are back, and I am so grateful for your guidance navigating the social scene. I'm Tracy. shaking with happiness. I just want to like pump my <laughs> fist. That's so Yay! great. Tracy, thank you for the feedback. You just really made, I think, both of our days. <laughs> And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today it's about entertaining advice from the 1951 Emily Post cookbook. Over on our Substack, we've been dipping in each week to Emily's cookbook, giving readers a taste of dishes from Emily's day. It's been a really fun series. It has. The Saturday Sip, we hear a lot about it. <laughs> and we thought it would be fun to dive into some of the advice offered on menu selection. Lizzie Post, I know you found it fascinating. I did find it fascinating, Dan. I can't read the whole section because there's too too much to it to tackle in one of these. And I think some of it, like some of it reads a little better than other parts of it. But it, she starts the book with this section on menu suggestions. And she's kind of talking about different courses or different things that you might experience in a course. And so I wanted to read about dinner party breads and dinner party desserts. And then important that the menu be balanced. That's the way it's worded as the title. Important that the menu be balanced. <laughs> dinner party breads. Formal dinner party breads are finger rolls and Melba toast and bread cut in and damn this cracks me up inch thick slices and cut again into three long blocks and browned in the oven. So basically she's just talking about like toast sticks instead of toast points. <laughs> At a really formal dinner, butter is never served. All of these breads are eaten dry. Dan, that I found fascinating and I want to talk with you more about it in a second. At less formal dinners, however, which are typical of today, Butter is more often served than not. This means that bread and butter plates and butter knives are also included, as well as any sort of rolls or hot breads you happen to like. I had vaguely remembered hearing that that bread and butter wasn't served at very formal dinners, and therefore the bread and butter dish wasn't originally a part of a formal dinner party. And that was always interesting to me because I've always seen it at formal dinners. And, and just because you're digging around in the recesses of my mind, I will yeah. also acknowledge that I have this memory of bread just sitting on a tablecloth in yeah. certain formal situations. That Which like seems there, there's just like no, you'd never do that, but it you remember. But it. you just might. <laughs> And and it would also remind me so much of why the crummer would be all that much more important. 
But what I'm unsure of, and I don't know if you know this, so it might be that we've got to go do some digging and get back to our audience. But do you know why butter wasn't allowed? It, like, would it because you're you're asking people to deal with a roll, and you're not even giving them a plate to put it on in some circumstances. What what do you think might be a reason to not butter something? Is it too fussy? It requires too much of the guest. If yeah. the if the idea is that you're bringing the food to the table ready to ready. eat. Mm-hmm. that it's been prepared in the kitchen for you to eat the idea that you would then need to do something extra, extra. to it mm-hmm. a- as a manner of course as a regular feature of the meal didn't probably fit mm. well moving on to dinner party desserts the usual formal dinner party dessert is ice cream but it may equally well be meringues with whipped cream or a and please forgive my pronunciation Masse d'oin of fruit or Bavarian cream, and this I really love, Dan, or a lattice top fruit pie. Its lattice top changes an everyday pie into a dinner party dessert. I just love that idea. My the lattice goodness. topping is like your dress up pie. <laughs> Emily continues, and I'll admit, Dan, when I first started reading this, I thought they had messed up in the book. And I thought this was like, all of a sudden, we jumped to a different section, a different menu item. But we did not. Olives have usually been offered with tomato juice or other cocktails in the living room before dinner, either plain or else stoned and wrapped in bacon, skewered with a toothpick and cooked in a hot, hot oven. If served at table, olives and celery are passed with the soup. Salted nuts are put on the table, a little dish at each place, and eaten throughout the dinner until the table is cleared for dessert, when nut dishes should be removed. The colloquial expression, from soup to nuts, applies to the old-fashioned family dinners which ended with nuts in shells and raisins. Many years ago in Maryland, everyone used to sit at table long after dinner was over, cracking nuts and eating them with raisins or with maple sugar candy. No doubt many families do this still. On the other hand, shelled and salted nuts that have been served for the past 30 or 40 years are eaten from soup to salad only. (laughs) I thought that was really cute. But I had no idea about about some of those customs, about sort of nuts almost being like a dessert in many ways, served with raisins and maple candy, things like that. Sounds like my kind of dessert. I was going to say, after that sweet, sweet uh, sustaining member question about, about the, the minister who's been getting too many sweets, <laughs> I think you could be down with this cracking nuts at the end of, at the end of dinner. And they're I'm also, a fan. You get that, like fatty niceness to them so they feel like a luxury you know with a little dried fruit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm digging it this next section is about the menu being balanced it's called important that menu be balanced of much more importance than classifying dinner party dishes is the choosing of a balanced menu by this is meant that a rich dish should be balanced by a simple one A fish with a thick cream sauce should follow a clear soup and be followed by a plain roast meat. Some people love highly flavored Spanish or Indian dishes, but they are not appropriate for more than one course. Indian curry or Spanish enchilada for one dish is relished by those who like it and suitable to serve if followed by a not highly flavored substantial dish, which practically everyone is able to eat. With Indian curry, a fatally bad combination would be a very peppery soup, fish with green peppers, and then the curry with chutney and other throat-searing ingredients, finishing with an endive salad. Yet more than one hostess has selected exactly these. Equally bad is a dinner of flavorless white sauces from beginning to end, a cream soup, boiled sole with white sauce, followed by breast of chicken with mashed potatoes and creamed celery, heart of palm salad. Stop, Lizzie Bo, stop. I don't even want to hear the rest. (laughs) Talk about not eating from the rainbow. I mean, that's (laughs) like, like, white is like blank. It's it's void of color. It's like, (laughs) not like black that's like all the colors you know what i mean oh my goodness oh could you imagine although it does remind me because when my mom first moved to vermont 
they um, would do dinners and it was literally called a white dinner and there were no green vegetables, no orange, no color. It was all like exactly what was just described here. Everything cream based and white bread based. (laughs) Salt cod. (laughs) It had some salt cod to the mix. Emily concludes by warning us not to make everything sweet. Beet soup. Fish with apricot sauce, duck basted with currant jelly, a sweet fruit salad, and a sugary dessert. In these examples, each dish is good in itself, but unpalatable in such a combination. (laughs) Dan, I am sure that last dinner would have been one you'd have struggled to get through. (laughs) No, although I would have loved to see her example of an overly salty menu as well. Yes, yes, yes. Because I could certainly err in that direction. (laughs) Balance is so important, though, and uh, while it's it's kind of fun to listen to Emily at this stage in her life, at 51, she's um, kind of in the last decade of her life, and I I appreciate that she's still trying to get us to think of things as a whole, that we're looking at how to, whether it's our food or our presentation, that we're, we're really trying to do something Dan Post Senning does so well, which is to step back and look at the bigger picture. And I think that 1951, 1922, probably 1857 and 2023, that advice still holds no matter what. Absolutely. You know, this particular cookbook won't make any hundred year lists (laughs) or (laughs) best of the century, this is or that. Not her best written work. (laughs) But it's full of little nuggets. I almost I I, I like it. as a cookbook, you know, you take it in little bites. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> like a little nut you sample in between courses. <laughs> Lizzie, thank you for finding us a reading and for sharing it with us today. Well, thank you so much. It's been really fun sharing the recipes over on our Substack. If you haven't signed up yet, please do emilypost.substack.com. And if you have been trying any of the recipes, please tell us how they've turned out. Yes, even Margie found that she could learn to cook when she discovered the significance of the terms used in cooking. And Tim will never know she ruined her first cake. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today we have a salute from Anonymous. My high school friend is getting married in Las Vegas in April. Last weekend, she went out of her way to make sure I got her invitation and that all of the details were clear. She also let me know that I would probably be able to bring a plus one after all the replies were received. It was so sweet of her to address all of my concerns and to make me feel like I could reach out to her when the only other guests I know are her parents. Signed, Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you so much for that salute. I hope that this is an indication of exactly how much fun you're going to have in Las Vegas this April. Yeah. Thank you so much for sending us the salute. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us over on Substack. Please do connect with us. Share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share podcasts. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Please do consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting emilypost.substack.com. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review that helps our show ranking, which helps more people to find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by the on vacation, feet up in a lounge chair, somewhere basking in the sun, Chris Albertine, and assistant produced by the incredible Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.